So when Jesus was crucified, his disciples all fled. We don't know who all was at the cross. Only John is mentioned as having been at the cross because Jesus, one of the seven last words that he said was, behold, your mother to John, the apostle, and behold, your son. Uh, so we know that Mary was at the cross. We we suspect that the other women uh, were at the cross. They uh, did not necessarily have anything to fear uh, with the association with Jesus like perhaps the disciples did. Uh, I think their fear was uh, was not unreasonable in human terms. Uh, I, I can certainly understand sometimes we are so quick to jump from Good Friday to Easter Sunday that we forget the despair they must have felt. We, we, we forget the, uh, the fear and the disappointment as they perhaps thought that Jesus was going to be a military Messiah who would chase the Romans out of their occupying state and return the Jews to their uh, prominence in, in, the, in Palestine in that, that area. Um, we, we, we sometimes forget that their despair must have been intense. And so in human terms, they, they, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. They hadn't, uh, been, he had promised he would send a comforter. He would promise that he would show them the way he had promised them that, that they would be okay. Let not your hearts be troubled. John 14. Believe in God, believe also in me and my father's house. There are many places, many spaces, many, some translate mansions. There, there's a place for you. I, I go there to prepare that place. And when I am ready, I will come get you. And Thomas said, how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the light. And so they had all these promises, but then Jesus got nailed to a cross. On that Sunday, he returned and he ministered to them. We know about the Emmaus Road, uh, the, the small town eight miles or so from Jerusalem that uh, a couple of disciples were walking along that road and Jesus appeared to them. He ate with them. He, he confirmed in them the truth. Not until he left did they understand that it was him. Our, our eyes are opened and they ran back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples. And uh, we know that Jesus uh, appeared to the disciples on that uh, Easter Sunday night. And then for uh, 40 or more days, he ministered to them and then he ascended to heaven, and we had Pentecost. So that brings us to the book of Acts. What do we know about Acts? It was written by Luke. All right, so it's a, a two-volume set. Were they written at the same time? He's a Gentile position. Yeah. To the same person. They were probably written back to back. They, they were, uh, it's probably volume one and volume two, Luke Acts. And so um, when we begin to read Acts, we, we know that we've turned the page. Um, we almost imagine that 
Uh, perhaps Luke had been in circulation for a little bit, but not all that long. And now we have uh, the book of Acts. <clears throat> well, our series has been about the people who connected with Jesus during that week between Palm Sunday and the, the tomb, and the fact that those encounters transformed them in ways that we as the readers of the scripture uh, can, uh, can see the transformation that took place, and maybe we identify because whatever it is that we're going through reminds us of the, the things that we're reading about. Now, Lazarus obviously was resurrected from the dead, and and while it it seems rather cavalier to say, well, none of us have been dead. Uh, we have all been to a place where we felt like there was no way out. There was no that there was no human uh, out for whatever problem it was that we were facing. And when Jesus said, "Lazarus, uh, leave your grave clothes behind and come out." Uh, it's it's um, it's a great statement to us to leave our grave clothes behind, leave leave what reminds us of that death behind. We talked about Nicodemus, the uh, the religious leader, the Pharisee, who wanted to uh, know more. The the uh, God was convicting him. You know, the scripture says, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Uh, Jesus said, no one can come to the Father unless he is drawn. And so the, the, the father was drawing Nicodemus and maybe all the, the, the study that he had done and the Torah was, was kind of clicking together. And he was recognizing that all the prophecies that pointed to Jesus as Messiah were, were in fact true. And, uh, and he was profoundly changed by a conversation that they had. Thomas profoundly changed after the resurrection, when Jesus said, put your hands in my hands and put your hands in my side. We don't have any evidence in the scripture that Thomas ever did that, but Jesus said, don't doubt any. Uh, let, let, your, let your faith be transformed from cynicism to, uh, to belief. Um, look at the disciples at the Last Supper, how Jesus took the time to answer their questions and and sometime I want to do a Bible study on the, the walk between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. We studied it in here a little while ago, and I was fascinated by it, but didn't uh, get enough time to study it. But I, I came to the belief that John 14, 15, 16, and 17 were probably things that Jesus said on the way from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane that his, his description of the vine and the branches, perhaps he was looking at the side of the temple and the, the grape vine that was sculpted on the side of the temple, and that he was trying to use uh, an olive tree and the, the sculpture and the things that are around him. You can almost uh, if it, when we go to Israel, we'll, we'll see all, well, we won't see that because that was Herod's temple and it was destroyed, but we, we will see the, 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 the proximity of the upper room in the garden of Gethsemane. It just wasn't that far. Um, Sunday, we talked about the proximity of the cross and the tomb and how close those things really are 
uh, between the where Jesus was crucified and where he was buried, and that we need to make sure we keep the cross and the tomb very close together. But the point of all of that was transformation. And Jesus even offered transformation to those who opposed him. We talked about Malchus, who was the soldier in the Garden of Gethsemane that Peter drew a sword and lopped off his ear, and Jesus put it back. And uh, and that that we don't know what he did with that transformation. We we have no no record of of Malchus anywhere else in Scripture. We we don't know what Barabbas did with the mercy he was given when Jesus took his place on the cross. We we all we know is that that the the love of God is unidirectional. It's it's it, it is offered to us whether or not we receive it. And so tonight we look at a couple of guys who were radically different two months after the resurrection than they were two days before the cross, to the empty tomb. These are the guys that fled from the garden of Gethsemane. They they uh, they hid from him. Uh, we know that Thomas doubted, that Peter denied, that 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 we hardly ever hear of any of the other disciples, at least as far as the scripture goes, other than to know that they felt like they needed to replace Judas, and they called together a council and named a, a replacement apostle that you probably can't name. Matthias. 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 Um, so Easter people is a fascinating look at the people who were around, but they remind us that even though we might not have heard a lot about them, they were transformed by their interactions with Jesus. But these two guys, we have heard a lot about, and we pick up their story in Acts I kind of have to remind us a little bit about Acts, and since I have the whole hour, I can do that. Uh, we know that Acts is part two. We believe, or I believe, I'm a conservative scholar. Uh, uh, conservative, I would say, is a firm guess. Scholar is in doubt. Uh, but I... I, I I don't have a reason to take guesses that are outside of what traditional scholarship has been. And most people who have studied believe that Acts was written fairly early. Um, the hero of Acts early on is Peter. The hero of Acts after about chapter 8, certainly after chapter 10, is Paul. And the very end of Acts ends with Paul being uh, imprisoned in Rome. Now, Paul was in jail all the time. You know, he did some of his best work from jail. If you are to guess where was he when he wrote Philippians, jail. Where was he when he wrote Corinthians, jail. So he, he did some of his best work from jail. But when he was imprisoned in Rome at the end of Acts, it was not the same kind of jail. Has anybody ever been to Rome? Seen the, the uh, Mamertine prison? 
that's there right off of the forum. It's just uh, you if you're walking down the the main thoroughfare that goes past the Coliseum and then on to the the Victory uh, Monument. If you look across the the Roman Forum and you look kind of between two buildings, you see a a building that's labeled the Mar Mamertine Prison. That would have been where Paul was at the very end of his life. That's where he wrote Second Timothy, and he said, "I fought the good fight." That's when he knew that his time was coming to an end. And I bring that up because we know that Nero was the emperor in Rome somewhere around 64 to 68. And that the famous fire that broke out in Rome was somewhere around 64 AD. Uh, most historians believe that Nero set the fire that he wanted to burn down some of the slums in order to expand his palace and, and his uh, uh, gardens. Uh, didn't really count on it backlashing on him. The, the people in Rome began to turn on him. He needed a scapegoat, and so he blamed the Christians. Uh, the Christians were a hated uh, class in Rome. They were largely Jewish people who had converted. The Gentiles were, were only beginning to uh, embrace the gospel. And of course, Paul's ministry was largely to the Gentiles. But um, the Jews were hated. The Christians were hated. Christians were just Jewish converts, so blame them. And so the stories that we have of uh, the Christians being covered in tar and uh, set on fire alive in order to light Nero's garden parties. Those are, those are not just outlandish stories. Uh, Christians being sewn into animal skins for sport on the Colosseum floor. But most of the executions that were uh, not just um, gratuitous uh, violence, like the really important crucifixions, like Peter, who was uh, crucified, Paul, who was beheaded. Anybody know where those executions took place? Rome, more specifically? Anybody ever been to the Vatican? Oh, yes. So, St. Peter's Square. That area was called Nero's Circus. And a circus was just a, a athletic type of field, a, a chariot track. And uh, Nero's uh, palace was uh, where St. Peter's Basilica is now. And so if you kind of backtrack where the big statues are in front of the Basilica of Peter and Paul, that's about where they were executed. And both were executed somewhere between 64 and 68, likely closer to 64. And since Paul's execution is not mentioned at the end of Acts, most scholars feel like Acts was written prior to that time. So Luke and Acts 
62, 63, 64, that, that that's kind of, so this is just 30 years after Jesus was crucified that we get this firsthand account. Luke likely interviewed Peter. Peter was probably Luke's source, although Luke also relied on Mark's gospel uh, and maybe Matthew's gospel. We're, we're really not sure which one was first. Um, it depends on how you look at it. Some scholars believe that Matthew had a version of his gospel that was written as early as 40 to 45 AD, so only a decade after Jesus, but that that was written in Aramaic. And then the Greek translation of it showed up uh, somewhere around 54, uh, still just two decades after Christ. So <clears throat> the reason all of that is important is that this, um, if it was written much, much later, when Rome's persecution of Christians had died down, let's say it was written in the second century, when when Rome was not as active in persecuting Christians, after Domitian, after Caligula, after Nero, after all these, these maniac emperors, it would have made a lot more sense that Peter and, and John were bold in the face of accusations. But to say that it was only that, that the memory that this was written just three decades after Jesus was crucified, the memories would have been very, very fresh. And the whoever gave Luke his information would have said this was immediately after Pentecost. Pena, 50, Pentecost, the festival, 50 days after Easter these events took place. So this is only two months removed. So you would think that there would still be a little bit of hostility around Rome, that, uh, I mean, around Jerusalem, that, that the memory of Jesus being tried before Annas and Caiaphas and uh, Pilate, that, that, that all of that would still be rather fresh. But all of a sudden we get this story. And so that's the 30,000-foot view of, of what acts, uh, what was going on and, and why it's important to, to think about this. In Acts chapter 1, we have the ascension of Christ. Some people ask me, uh, what is your theory of when Jesus is going to return? And I say that, I am firmly committed to the theory of Acts 1-7. That they asked him when he was going to come back, and he said, it's none of your business. So if it wasn't any of their business, it's none of my business. It's my business to be ready if he's coming back tomorrow. It's my business to be ready if he's coming back in a thousand years. And so I'm an Acts 1-7-ist. I'm not pre or post or ah or any of those things. I am an Acts one sevenist. So in chapter one, he ascends. He tells them he's going to come back. Um, the Matthias is chosen to replace Judas. Uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, scenes in the Bible is when Jesus ascends and 
and humans being humans are staring at the heavens. And the angel says, why are you looking up? You got work to do. It's time for y'all to get busy. And so in Acts 11, uh, why do you stand looking into heaven? He is going to come back. It's time for you to go to work. Acts chapter 2, we have the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised that in his absence, his physical absence, there would be a spiritual presence that we have come to know as the Holy Spirit, the third of the Trinity, the expression of God that allows us to have, uh, he's called a counselor or a comforter. And we understand both of those terms. We understand a counselor, an advocate, a lawyer, someone who, who argues our case, argues for mercy on our behalf. We also understand a comforter, that when our, our, our world is just too messed up to, uh, to cope with some of the things that are going on, we have a, a, a presence of God who, who invades our thoughts, and, and he comforts us uh, to prepare us for the worst, to prepare us for the best, to uh, make sure that we understand um, that he is with us. Now, another little side trip. Sorry. One of the, the scholars who proposed that it's possible that Acts was written much later. When you say to him, well, Paul's death is not mentioned in the, the book of Acts. And that scholar might answer, well, maybe Acts is not about Paul. Maybe it's about the spread of the gospel, and when the gospel reached Rome, which was its ultimate destination, when the, when the gospel began to take root in Rome, maybe that's when the writer of Acts said, that's what I wanted to write about. I happen to think they're both right. I still favor an early date, but it's a great perspective to say, maybe the book of Acts is not about Peter. Maybe it's not about Paul. Maybe it's not about individuals. Maybe it's about the Holy Spirit who has come to make sure the gospel is spread. As it, uh, Jesus said at the end of, of Matthew, and when the gospel is preached to all the nations, then the end will come. And so the well, we we can't we 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 love the characters of Acts, right? We we love uh, the 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 two on the road to Emmaus. Now, bonus points if you know any of their names. What's the question again? The names of the people who were the two on the road to Emmaus. Oh, uh, Caiaphas. No, that's not right. I was one of them. I'm going to tell you who it Cleopas. is because it's a funny story. Cleopas. My daughter works for American Honda now. And she is servicing accounts. So she calls people who have accounts and, and makes sure that their payment schedules are set up. And she told Judy the other day, she said, uh, I talked on the phone today with a guy named Cleopas. And G Judy said, you mean like from the Bible? And Sarah paused and she says, you know, it's a really old account. <laughs> I don't think it's that old, um, but uh, so in, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has come. What is the reason the Holy Spirit came? 
to give us comfort, yes. To give us guidance, yes. To give us uh, instruction, yes. But no to all three. The Holy Spirit came that the gospel would be preached to the nations. The Holy Spirit came to, to make sure that the, the process of discipleship was going to continue. That the, 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 the spreading out of the gospel would continue. Okay, another bonus question. What is the major factor that contributed to the spread of the gospel in Acts? Persecution. Exactly. What? Persecution. Jerusalem. Yeah. The word that's used for the spreading of the gospel is called diaspora. The 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 dispersion. And so if there was no persecution in Jerusalem, humans being humans, they said, what a great thing we've got here. 2,000 were added to the church. 5,000 were added to the church. We're just growing, and all of a sudden, the persecution ramped up, and the people scattered. And the end result was that the gospel was taken north to Asia Minor. And when we uh, do a tour called the Footsteps of Paul, we might go through Galatia, or we might see the city of Colossia, Colossians, Philippians, Philippians at the far north end of the Aegean Sea, uh, where Europe and Asia, literally the, the border between Europe and Asia. Uh, we, we, we see Macedonia, we see the Peloponnesian Peninsula with, with Corinth and Sparta. Uh, so, so literally the gospel's best friend in terms of being spread was persecution. But not just persecution, boldness, optimism, and persecution. So I'm finally at the scripture. Peter preached powerfully at Pentecost, chapter 2, verse 14. Um, he's preaching to a pretty friendly crowd. Uh, these are people who are who are wanting to know what's going on. Um and he's preaching a strong message. He's, he's preaching repentance. And uh, in verse uh, 36 of chapter 2, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children, all who are far off, everyone uh, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so, verse 41, those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I got excited because we baptized 11 people at Easter. That would have been a fabulous day. And uh, it didn't stop there. Uh, verse 42 begins to talk about, you remember the last uh, chapter of experiencing God talked about the word koinonia, the fellowship, the, uh, the pure fellowship of the church. Uh, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, all signs, wonder, all who believed were together, had all things in common. The Lord added to their numbers. So chapter 3 is where our drama starts. Peter and John were going up to the temple. So it's 
Pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection. So just two months. And now they're going back to the temple. Apparently, they're not uh, in fear every day of their lives. So they were going to the hour of prayer. They figured Jesus prayed at the temple. Let's just keep doing what he did. And there was a man lame from birth being carried, and they laid him at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. So, Dick, you've been to Jerusalem? So which one's the beautiful gate? They're all beautiful, right? They are. I don't know geographically. It's the east gate. Is it? Okay. Yeah, it's the one that's closed, closed up. up. Uh, so, so he was at the eastern gate of the, the temple. And uh, he saw Peter and John. He just asked for money. Peter looked right in his eyes, as did John. Look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter says, I don't have money to give you, but what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Took him by the right hand, raised him up. Immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, leaping up. He stood and began to walk, entered the temple, leaping, walking, praising. All the people saw him walking and praising God. Uh, anybody have a red flag there as to what uh, may have started some uh, irritation among the the uh, theologues? Well, he was unclean. Yeah, he was healed, but there's no priest that had pronounced him that yet. And he went straight on into the temple. Uh, okay, ethics violation. <laughs> so he, he didn't care. All the people saw him walking and praising God. Uh, that is, verse 9 is more of a key verse than you would think. Because that means that there were a lot of people who witnessed him uh, walking. And the same people had seen him lame and uh it went out of the way in verse 2 to tell us that he'd been lame from birth. In just a minute, we're going to learn that he's 40 years old. So they had walked, they had watched him, walked by him. They had seen him. He was, he was in that condition. One uh, writer that uh, I studied was, he's kind of like me, maybe a little cynical. He says, why is it that faith healers never do mess with the people with birth defects. The faith healers, they, 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 they fix your headache. They, 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 they don't mess with people who have been lame from birth. 40 years of illness, and yet Peter and John healed him. And he was unmistakably lame, and he was unmistakably healed. And so what? Jesus probably walked past him, but left his condition for Peter. That doesn't surprise me. Great point. Dick said that uh, Jesus probably walked past this same guy, but knew that that was something Peter needed to take care of a little yes. later. <laughs> Does he still do that? Yes, sir. Stuff that Jesus could take care of, but he wants us, he wants to... us to do it. Okay, you just scared me a little bit. Okay. All right. <laughs> So then uh, Peter begins to preach. 
Uh, obviously, he gets an audience. A miracle has been done. He gets a crowd, verse 11. Uh, the lame guy was clinging to his to Peter and John. The people were astounded. He, Peter said, why, why do you wonder at this? You think it's our power? It's not our power that heals. It's not our power that, that shares the gospel. It's not our power that preaches. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, remember he's in the temple. So he is, he is giving the background, the Jewish background. He said, uh, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered, Jewish people, you denied in the presence of Pilate. Interesting that Peter would use that word, denied. But you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life. I'll skip to the end of his sermon, verse 19. Repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. I kind of have a verse of the day in my prayer list, and, and that verse is the Wednesday prayer. Repent, therefore, turn back so that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come. That's just an astounding promise. That, that those of us who are veteran Christians and veteran sinners know that when we come before the Lord, he still blots out our sins and he still sins refreshing. All right, so got 20 minutes left and we're finally to the chapter I'm going to preach on Sunday. <laughs> so they continue to speak to the people. Look at the vocabulary here. The priests the captain of the guard of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them. Look down in verse five. Uh, it adds some people, rulers, elders, scribes. Who do we not see listed here? Romans. So apparently Pilate has gone on back to Caesarea Maritime where he lived. The, Passover feast was over with in Jerusalem. There was no need for the Roman legions to be in town anymore because they, the, the crowds had dispersed. And now we've got this little incident by the temple and the priests and the captain of the guard, the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them. Now we've been hearing about the Pharisees, but we've not heard much about the Sadducees. Um, anybody know the difference? Sadducees did not uh, prove or think the resurrection was part of it. And they actually asked Jesus a resurrection question, which was okay. uh, silly in the first place. Who has the worst reputation, Pharisees or Sadducees? Pharisees. And it's, and it's unfair because the Pharisees were probably people who just wanted to, they, they loved God so much that they created a myriad of rules to try to make sure that they honored him. He said, don't work on a Sabbath. When we go to Israel, if we get into an elevator on the Sabbath, it stops at every floor. 
So you don't have to push the button because that would be work. Hmm. I mean, they the Pharisees tried to be holy. The Sadducees were much more secular. They, they believed in the written law. They tried to adhere uh, to the written law. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the body. They didn't believe in any future rewards or punishments. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. This life is, is all the life there is. They rejected the sovereignty of God. They rejected predestination. They rejected uh, that, that God was sovereign and believed man to be the master of his destiny. So even though they were a religious sect, they were much more worldly. We, we would probably identify them as postmodern. They, they are humanists. They were, they were kind of uh, uh, making up their own rules, but man was in charge. And you know, the, the tension of our faith is to how much do we really decide and how much is the sovereignty of God? And the answer is yes, that God can do anything he wants to do. He is absolutely sovereign. He loves us enough to, gives, uh, to give us the choice that we would accept him or reject him. And, and we don't understand the mystery between sovereignty and free will. We don't, we don't pretend to understand it. But the Sadducees rejected God's sovereignty outright. Gary, do you want to do the joke or do you want me to? They were sad, you see. Because they rejected the sovereignty of God. That's a seminary joke. All right. So um, now it gets interesting. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and here we go, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. Don't know what to do with them. We could hold them in a holding cell for 24 hours. What, what the, the, the context that the scripture doesn't really give us is that, um, look down at verse 13. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. Now, the Sadducees were so arrogant, they would have assumed that Peter and John didn't know the Jewish law. They didn't know the Torah. Now, every Jewish boy memorizes the Torah by the time he's 12, then and now. But, but because they were uneducated, they got a pass. We're not allowed to punish them because they probably didn't know better. Nobody can be guilty of something in ignorance. You know, it's, it's our code that says ignorance is no excuse uh, for breaking the law. But in their day, ignorance was an excuse. If you, were, if you could not have been reasonably expected, they couldn't flog you. They couldn't uh, uh, imprison you. They couldn't treat. They couldn't crucify you. Of course, the the Jewish leaders couldn't anyway. But uh, they're going to break their law in a minute. But they um, they 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 threw them in jail. And the problem was that many of those first four who had heard the word believed, and now the number of men became five thousand. 
So this is not a small group of people. Some people have said about the feeding of the 5,000 that that describes the men. So there was uh, likely double that there with women and children. And so if the number of men who believed was 5,000, all of a sudden the Jerusalem church is five numbers. That's a pretty big crowd. And do you remember that a lot of that crowd had seen what? They'd seen this lame guy healed. They'd seen a genuine miracle. They knew that he was lame. They knew that he was healed. You, you don't play possum for 40 years. You know, you, you don't you don't just do your, your begging routine at the end of the interstate ramp for 40 years. He was truly lame. And he was leaping and praising. He was truly healed. It 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 seems to me that that they were really they were relieved that Jesus was dead because those miracles would quit happening. And then Peter does this thing, and yeah. they're like, "Wait, yeah. whoa!" I, Wait. You know. Isn't all this over? We crucified the guy. Come on. I, I get that they claim that he was resurrected from the dead, but. You know, only 500 people saw him after that, and we can just wait him out. Exactly. Exactly. I, I mean, it was kind of like a deja vu experience. And then and, and the word here, the temple guard, these are Jewish soldiers. These are not Romans. They were annoyed. On the next day, the reason for that grouping, rulers, elders, scribes, Scribes probably refers to the Pharisees, and all that tells us is that the entire Sanhedrin was there. You remember John, uh, when he preached about Nicodemus, he talked about the Sanhedrin, 71 men who were Sadducees and Pharisees. Uh, they were uh, lawyers, they were scribes, they were uh, of royal lineage, meaning Levitical priests. So it was a combination of people. And this group, the Sanhedrin, they were the Supreme Court. They were the lawmakers. They were the law enforcers. So when you got all of those, it's, it's almost like Congress, uh, opposing parties together. The Sadducees didn't like the Pharisees. Pharisees didn't like the Sadducees. None of them really liked the priests. Sometimes the priests were Sadducees. Sometimes the priests were Pharisees. Sometimes the priests were just Levites. And so there's this group of people that has come together and been appointed to literally rule Israel. And the Romans left them alone as long as what? Kept the peace, Pax Romana. As long as they didn't violate the peace, they were going to leave them alone. Okay, so now they've got a problem. Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, they were all in the high priest. Now they set them in their midst. And they said, by what power or what name did you do this? None of you are lawyers, right? One of the principal rules of law is to never ask a question you don't know the answer to. And they violated that all over the place. This is such an open uh, opportunity for Peter. Okay, I'm glad you asked. I think a key verse in this whole story is verse 8. 
Anybody want to guess why? Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's it. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to bury my lead. On Sunday, I'm going to examine this a little further by going back to, to Luke 22 uh, and John 20 and John 21 and look at some of the events that may have happened that were part of the progression of transformation with Peter. But it can be summed up right there. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now he was a man on a mission. Rulers of the people and elders. He addressed the entire Sanhedrin. Now, I mean, he was country come to town. He was a fisherman. And now he's standing before all of these rulers in their fine robes. They plopped him right down in the middle. This is reminiscent of John chapter 8 when the woman was caught in adultery and the religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus. That was all or part of the Sanhedrin then. And likely they formed a semicircle around Peter and John, intimidating. And they said, who, what power? And so he addressed all of them. He said, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man. And that's where he would pause and go, seriously? I'm on trial because I did a good thing? Well, yeah. So since you asked, verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, ooh, whom God raised from the dead, ooh, ooh, by him this man is standing here. This Jesus is the stone that you rejected, you the builders, and he has become the cornerstone. Now, Jerusalem would have been full of cornerstones. We could go see the foundation stone of Herod's temple. We, we can see the stones that make up what's called the Western Wall now. So when he said the cornerstone... And by the way, I, I believe they say that the foundation stone is well over 30 tons. And uh, that's the cornerstone of the temple. So when he said, no, no, that's not the cornerstone. This Jesus, you crucified him. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. He is the one our faith rests on. Salvation is in no one else. If you're not building on that cornerstone, you can't be saved. And they understood exactly what he was talking about. He was, he says, there is salvation in no one else, no other name among men. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Here's the other key in the whole passage. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. They also saw the guy who'd been healed. Exhibit A, right? <laughs> Do you have any evidence? Well, there's this guy who's <laughs> kind of got a twitch about him. Uh, they commanded him to leave the council. Uh, in other words, the 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 um, the judge left to go to chambers and say, uh, "Let us go confer." So so they removed Peter and John so that they could deliberate among themselves, and we somehow have. Uh, privy to their deliberation. We don't really know why. What shall we do with them? A notable sign has been performed. 
everybody in Jerusalem, uh, we can't let it spread anymore. Let us warn them to speak to no one else. Let's threaten them. Let's say we're coming after your children. We're coming after your property. We're coming after your reputation. And don't you ever forget what we did to your teacher. We, we know that the threats were pretty severe. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Somebody read for me verse 8 one more time. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them. Yep. <laughs> That's all we need. What did they think he was going to say? Oh, okay, my bad. We'll just shirk back to Galilee and, and fish. Peter said, you've got to decide whether you're going to pay attention to God or man. You guys decide that every day. And that was a little bit of a dig at the Sadducees, wasn't it? They believed that man was master of his fate. And now Peter is saying, you must decide whether you're going to pay attention to God or whether you're going to pay attention to man. But as for us, we cannot stop speaking. We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. First-hand testimony. It's ironic that this is in a court of law, and we know that hearsay is not admitted. So they said, we're talking about what we have seen, what we have heard, what we've experienced, the very power of God, the Jesus that you crucified. We followed him three years. The, I, I have an invisible ink in my Bible. It's not in your Bible, but I, I think it's supposed to be there where Peter said, and you know what? I denied him before, and I'm not denying him again. I, I may have been in fear of a servant girl by a charcoal fire before, but I'm looking at the whole Supreme Court of the nation of Israel, and I'm not afraid of any of you guys. You do what you got to do. I can't stop speaking about what I've seen and heard. And verse 21, they further threatened them. I'm not really sure what else they threatened them with, but they didn't find any way to punish them. And I think that somewhat refers back. They didn't even have the law on their side because they assumed that these were ignorant people. Now, in Acts 5, 17, they arrest them again. And they are not as kind because now they arrested them again and um, they flogged them because this is the second offense. So in this first one, they didn't even have the law on their side. They couldn't uh, assault them. So they just called them names and threatened them. And it was like Peter said, I don't think so. Now they found no way to punish them. All the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So we come uh, full circle. Verse 17 in chapter 5, they were arrested again. Um, they arrested the apostles. They put them in the public prison. They, okay, we, we've been down this road before, guys. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison. 
said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. That is one of the funniest verses in the Bible. Because the religious leaders got up the next day. They went to the temple. They saw the same guys they'd thrown in jail the night before. And they went, what? Wait, what? Who? And the high priest came. They called together the council, all the Senate of the people of Israel. So again, the Sanhedrin. They sent them to the prison. They weren't there. We found the prison securely locked. But when we opened, nobody was inside. And the captain of the temple goes, I know where they are. <laughs> They're in the temple preaching. They went and got them. They set them before the council. They said, we told you not to teach this name. Verse 29, he says it again. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And that's a code word too. To be hanged on a tree was a curse in Jewish thought. But God raised him up. God exalted him. God uh, raised him to give repentance to Israel for the forgiveness of sin. We are witness, so is the Holy Spirit. They were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But verse 34, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was Paul's teacher, he said, you know, if God's in this, we can't stop it. If God's not in this, we don't need to stop it because it's going to play out on its own. So I'll, I'll end tonight with a question. Other than verse 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. What was it that made the difference between the guy who denied him three times by the charcoal fire and the guy who preached with such power at Pentecost? What made the difference? The resurrection. We're going to look at that. We're, we're going to peel that back on Sunday morning. So you got to come back. All right. I love having the whole hour. This is great. I'll see you guys on Sunday morning. Um, do you want to look ahead? Uh, Luke 22, John 19, 20, 21. Uh, maybe a little Matthew 28. End of all of the Gospels, you'll uh, you'll be caught up.